Howdy friends, I'm coming to you live from the road. Yes, I'm on the road this week and I am recording this from my hotel room, but I was determined to not let that stop me from making this episode. Um, it's already been kind of late and I do apologize for that. Life has been crazy. You guys know how it is. And it turned out that the subject of this episode ended up being this much larger undertaking than what I'd previously thought. Um, and also I'd planned to finish also I'd planned to finish this episode on Monday, but um this weekend I went on this crazy 53 mile uh backpacking expedition and I was toast on Monday. I could barely walk around my house and all I wanted to do was just eat pizza, drink beer and put icy hot on everything that ached uh thankfully though i'm recovered and i'm grateful for the experience man i tell you if you ever want to learn who you really are or how tough you are uh strap the bare necessities on your back and start walking because it will cut out the bullshit and really show you what you're capable of so i'm back i'm back in the saddle we got a new episode coming um this episode is going to be divided into probably two parts, maybe three parts, because it ended up being, like I said before, this huge, huge undertaking, and I want to do it justice. All right, so that's enough. Um, today's episode is on hermeticism. Now, hermeticism, when you think of the occult or when you think of esotericism, I would say that 99% of the ideas that pop into your head when I say those words um, come from Hermeticism. Now, everybody and their mother has put their own spin on this belief system, and so now it's this really, really broad idea. But it's still important to remember that in many ways, Hermeticism is the basis of esotericism, alternative religion, science, and philosophy, and it's it plays a big part in our... Um, collective human consciousness whether we know it or not and hopefully by the end of this series you guys will know that all right so let's get into it this is hermeticism part in we gon' figure it out it's time to figure it out at least we're gonna try anyway here we go you may not realize, but hermeticism has been with you all your life. Um, in the shadows and behind the scenes, as civilizations have rose and crumbled, as we fought wars in the name of God and money and land and pride, at each step of development uh, since the first century, hermeticism has been there. And in a way, hermeticism is kind of like that weird old guy that lives on the outskirts of town, who's always working on some weird shit, and everybody's really concerned about what he's doing. And finally, you run him out of town, and you hope that he never comes back. But of course, all you've done is just made him another town's problem, and eventually, like always, he comes back. Hermeticism is a child of the world. It's a child of cultures and time. Um, it's an ever-evolving doctrine that reflects the people who have impressed upon it um it's traveled the world countless times picking up new ideas and reteaching old ideas 
to the same people who drove it out years before. Um, it's radical. It seems dangerous. It's the unknown, and it's the encouragement to explore the unknown. In many ways, I feel that Hermeticism is the story of humanity across the globe. You know, it's this idea that was created by all cultures and nations, and it's changed the way that we look at ourselves, the world, and our place in the world. Um, Hermeticism made us question our reality and question our boundaries and limitations. It brought us science and research and mathematics and astrology and philosophy. Hermeticism, in a way, made us all gods. Because really that is its purpose. To show us the tools and to show us the way to interact with the spiritual realms and the spiritual beings that are out there. And it emboldens us to explore these unknown dimensions, to interact with them, to control them, right? To be gods. Now, you may be thinking, uh, where is Hermeticism now? I mean, surely this idea has been stamped out either in the name of faith or reason. And if you ask me that, I would say you are a fool. Because even now, Hermeticism and its ideas are in your mind. Okay, so in this episode, we are going to cover just the history of Hermeticism from its development to the Renaissance. Because that's where we see Hermeticism really get its legs and it starts to stand up on its own. And it becomes this idea and thought form that we know today. And really during this time, we see it making impact um, that has had astounding influence on how you're living your life right now. In part two of this series, we're going to look at the beliefs of Hermeticism and see what the basis of this philosophy, uh, religion really is. But as a quick snapshot, just so you understand where we are moving forward, Hermeticism um, really is that scientific approach to religion or the unseen. Hermeticism is the study and its teachings that show you how to interact with spiritual dimensions and to control um, yourself and things around you. You know, it, it promotes things like astrology, where you use the stars and the planets to predict what's going to happen to you or to your loved ones next, and it encourages um, ceremonial magic and but it also uses science and mathematics as a basis for exploring uh, you know the subtle realms and for exploring God so when we talk about using science to explore the unknown or the unseen hermeticism is really at the heart of that so let's jump into the history of hermeticism Hermeticism developed in the first century AD, and it's the perfect example of those hybrid religions that I've talked about in other episodes. And it should be no surprise that around this time we're seeing a huge explosion of new ideas and beliefs and religions. Um, in our last episode, Gnosticism, it was developed around the same time, and it actually influenced the development of Hermeticism. 
But the reason why all these new ideas and philosophies and religions are exploding is because this is um, the height of the Roman Empire. It's what is known as the Pax Romana. It was a very um, comparatively peaceful time for the Roman Empire, and it was at the height of its expansion. So it's the Roman Empire is encompassing all these different people, all these different cultures, and it's kind of forcing them to interact with each other. And through those interactions, we they're share those people are sharing ideas, and so these hybrid belief systems um, are born. Hermeticism is really unique because <clears throat> during the time of the Pax Romana, Alexandria was kind of the, the shining jewel of Rome. It's this hub of innovation and communication and trade in the Mediterranean. And so it's this perfect place for new ideas to be born. Hermeticism, in many ways, is the fusion of all the exciting ideas that were popping up around the first century because it's got elements of Gnosticism, Christianity, Kabbalah, Zoroastrianism, and of course logical thinking. The fusion of all these ideas into one cohesive new movement is attributed to this guy named Hermes Trismegistus. I'm just going to call him HT for short because that is a total mouthful. Uh, so HT uh, or Hermes Thrice Great, that is what the Trismegistus means. Um, there's been a lot of debate on the identity of this guy and whether he was an actual person or not. At the time, and for many years later, as we'll find out, it's believed that HT was this contemporary of Moses, that he was around in the ancient times and that he was this great and powerful. Uh, sage mystic who communicated with God and in fact Islam um, has a prophet named Idris who they believe to be Hermes now it's pretty much agreed on HT really never existed and that the ideas of Hermeticism weren't from this old ancient mystic sage from the Old Testament but it was more than likely created by a group of people who wrote under one name during the first century AD. Um, it's also now believed that the idea of HT was created through this fusion of Egyptian and Greek gods, and that he is the combination of the Egyptian god Thoth and the Greek god Hermes, um, and they both represent the heart of Hermeticism. So in their respective cultures, Hermes and Thoth are the gods of magic and wisdom, and they're responsible for um, guiding the souls of the dead to the nether realm, or whatever you want to call it, right? So their own elements from their own cultures kind of get fused together in Alexandria, and they become one person, which is Hermes Trismegistus, or my dude H.T., and H.T. kind of picks up the mantle of Hermes and Thoth, and he becomes this god or teacher of magic and wisdom and one who guides us in this world. Also during this time, we see the development of Hermeticism's primary text, which is called the Hermetica. And it's kind of this collected work that's created between the first and third century that lays out the foundational beliefs and the core knowledge necessary to be a practicing hermeticist. 
But before I go any further, I should probably explain that the Hermetica and other texts and the, really the whole foundation of Hermeticism, it encourages its followers to add to and take away from the knowledge that's presented to the follower, if that makes any sense. So it would be like if you're a Christian and your pastor encouraging you to take away, take out parts of the Bible that didn't work and to add to parts of the Bible that did work and share it with your neighbor. That's how I would compare it. So if we follow the Hermetica throughout history and where this book goes and how this book is treated, we really see the story of Hermeticism and we see how it develops and how it grows because its growth is directly tied to the Hermetica, to the text itself, especially up into the Renaissance. So the beginning of Hermeticism is really kind of just like it is now. It's this personal or small group belief system that doesn't do evangelizing, not trying to win over the masses. There's no megachurch. There's not really even any leaders. It's just a small group of people encouraging each other to do their own spiritual research, I guess you could say. But obviously it's there, and obviously it's present, and it's being shared with people. So when Rome officially becomes a Christian nation in 312, Hermeticism starts to get restricted and choked out just like any other belief or religion that challenged the church. But thankfully, uh, the Hermetica is this kind of aggravating little text that keeps popping up. It gets preserved in these vast libraries of Byzantium. One reason that the Hermetica survives in Byzantium is that although Christians are really trying to root out any idea or religion that challenges them, they're also kind of interested in what Hermeticism is putting out there. Because, again, a lot of its works and a lot of what it's saying is just scientific research. And one thing that really intrigued the Christian church about Hermeticism was its take on alchemy. Now, I'm not going to get into alchemy now. We're going to get more into it in episode two. But if you've heard of it before, you've probably heard of it in the sense where um, it's this sort of chemistry science that lets you turn lead into gold, which that is just kind of the very basis of it. But keep that in mind. Alchemy plays a big part in what Hermeticism is and how it stayed alive at this time. All right, so now we're in the third century, and Hermeticism has really just been crushed out by the Christian church, and really all that's keeping it around is these copies of the Hermetica that just get circulated in little inner circles because remember there's no printing press at this time and so whatever copies of the Hermetica are out there have been copied by hand so there's probably not that many but it lingers Hermeticism lingers and then finally we see Hermeticism get kicked off again in the 7th century when this guy named Muhammad starts having these divine re revelations and this new religion called Islam starts. So during the 7th and 8th century, um, Islam is really on the rise. And within Islam, there's this group called the Sebians. Now, this group is a little different than other Islamic groups. And today, many would argue that they're not Islamic at all, but they're followers of an ancient form of Gnosticism. 
Either way, the Sabians play a big role in the preservation and eventually passing on of Hermeticism. Now, remember in my introduction, Hermeticism, it's this idea that gets shared around cultures and it picks up pieces of those cultures and then it circles back around again. So even though Hermeticism is uh, virtually snuffed out in the Western world, it's going to make its rounds again and it's going to reintroduce some ideas to Westerners and it's also going to introduce some new ideas that were created by its visits to other cultures. Okay, so the Sebians were called star worshippers because they believed that the stars and the planets were linked to, to the divine and they adhered to the teachings of Idris who of course is our buddy H.T. just in Islamic prophet form. During this time, the Sebians were like wizards. They studied astrology, natural science, mathematics, alchemy, you name it, they did it. And if we remember back to our episode on esotericism, any time throughout history that science has increased, also esoteric ideas have increased. So the Sebians were making these huge advances for um, humans and for technology and for our understanding of the world, but they're also promoting these um, spiritual and philosophical ideas that encourage them to use those advances in science and math and um, astronomy to explore the spiritual dimension. So the Sebians are really important for not only the preservation of Hermeticism during this kind of black period in the Western world, but also for adding to it a more um, thought-out scientific exploration. Okay? Now, when the Crusade starts, the Europeans and the Westerners are more than happy to borrow, I'm, I'm doing finger quotes here, uh, the ideas of the Islamic Caliphates and the Sebians. However, the information that uh, Europeans found during the Crusades from the Islamic Caliphates, they didn't really know what to do with it until the Renaissance. I'm going to be so bold to say that many of the discoveries that took place during the Renaissance either wouldn't have happened or they would have happened very differently if Hermeticism had not have existed. Um, there were so many scientific researchers who have made huge, huge impacts on human development and human thought and human exploration who were really influenced by the ideas of Hermeticism. To name two, um, Isaac Newton and Tycho Brahe were both alchemists. They both tried to use science to answer spiritual and philosophical questions and to control their environment and to be like gods. And that's really at the heart of what Hermeticism is. But in regards to Hermeticism as a whole, um, the people who we should really be thanking for its preservation during the Renaissance is Marsilio Ficino and Giovanni Pico della Mirandola. I'm going to call them Marsilio and Giovanni because these Italian names are very difficult for me to pronounce. So after the invention of the printing press, there's this huge move to translate ancient texts. And a member of this of the Medici family, who was the most powerful family in Italy during the Renaissance, and you could argue was 
the most powerful family in the world at the time, uh, was interested in philosophical and scientific texts, and so he asked um, Mercilio to translate this weird work that he found called the Hermetica. Now, where things get weird is when you consider that the Hermetica is the foundation for a completely different belief system that challenges Christianity, and Mercilio is a Catholic priest. So one would think that the Hermetica would be tossed out with any other ancient text that dared to question the Catholic Church, but the reason that the Hermetica uh, was allowed to be translated to Latin was because of mis misinformation. During this time, everyone actually believed that the Hermetica was written by this dude named Hermes Trismegistus during the time of Moses. So naturally, people thought that this text influenced the development of Christianity, and therefore it could be applied to Christian living, when in all actuality the exact opposite was true. Christianity had actually influenced Hermeticism, and Hermeticism challenged Christian ideas. But, while Marsilio uh, is the guy who translates the Hermetica into Latin, he is not the guy that goes out there and shares the information with everybody. That responsibility falls to our buddy Giovanni. Giovanni's story is a funny one, and it's remarkable that the spread and preservation of Hermeticism happened by coincidence. So, to set the scene... During the Renaissance, during this time, Giovanni is this young philosopher from a wealthy family who decides that he's going to go visit Florence, which is kind of the center of information, of philosophy, of religion, of you name it. Florence is the center of it during the Renaissance. So while in Florence, Giovanni falls in love with this married woman, and they decide that they're going to run away together. So one day, Giovanni and this married woman decide they're going to run away together to get away from her husband. And while making their escape, the lady's husband finds out and he catches up to them. And he really just kicks the shit out of Giovanni. And I guess it must have been a pretty epic ass whooping because Giovanni was laid up in bed for a long time trying to recover. So while he's laying in bed and he's trying to get better and he's trying to lick his wounds from this major ass whooping that he took, um, he decides to start reading some different stuff. So he starts reading these mystic and religious texts of Zoroaster, Platonism, Kabbalah, and then one day his teacher, Marsilio, he says, hey man, I've just translated this book, you should give it a look, it's called the Hermetica. So Giovanni starts reading the Hermetica, and it really changes his perspective on a lot of things. And while he's recovering, um, he really gets on board with these different mystic ideas, and he develops these 900 theses to defend the practice of natural magic and esoteric ideas. And he wants to go around Italy with these 900 theses, challenging and debating anyone who um, disputes his ideas and really what he's doing is challenging the church and he's challenging Christianity so unfortunately um, the church and the higher-ups get wind of what he's doing and they shut him down fortunately though he's in tight with the Medici family and they keep him from being executed so while he doesn't get to travel Italy and share 
um, how great Hermeticism is and how great esoteric exploration is, what he does do is shock everyone enough that they become interested in his ideas because, of course, they hear about the church shutting down this young whip, whippersnapper who's just trying to come in and mix everything up. And like any good marketing strategist, Giovanni writes this book called The Oration on the Dignity of Man that kind of outlines all of his ideas. And this book uh, becomes known as the Manifesto of the Renaissance. And it's the key text to what's referred to as the Hermetic Reformation. All right, so I'm going to stop there this week because there's still a whole lot of ground to cover with Hermeticism, and I don't want to bog you guys down. In our next episode, we're going to fast forward to the 19th century when Hermeticism leads us to the creation of the modern idea of the occult, and we see groups like Thelma and Golden Dawn develop and have a drastic influence on our everyday way of life. Don't forget to follow the show on Twitter, and feel free to email me with questions or comments. I love to hear your thoughts on our topics, and I want to thank you all for your response from the last episode. We really had a lot of good conversations started, and I want to encourage you all to keep those comments and questions coming in. Until the next episode, don't forget, my friends, to be hopeful, stay positive, and tell somebody that you love them. <laughs>